Election fever hit Lebanon on May 15th as the country went to the polls to elect representatives for the parliament. The small nation on the coast of the eastern Mediterranean, bordered by Syria and Israel, has experienced a dramatic political and economic crisis since 2019. Despite the litany of issues, a major shift away from the establishment parties was not anticipated. But when the country awoke on Monday morning, it gradually became clear that this was not going to be the case. My name is Hugo Goodridge. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. The biggest issue is the economic crisis that the Lebanese have been going through now since 2019. This is Randa Slim, senior fellow at the Middle East Institute. Their deposits in banks are inaccessible to them. They feel that they are lost forever. The other big issue is the impunity, you know, following the blast, the Beirut port blast in 2020 with none of the officials who are responsible having faced trial until now. So the lack of accountability, uh, the corruption in the political system, uh, the corruption in the business uh, sector, and, you know, unemployment, poverty, Uh, more than 80% of the Lebanese now live under the poverty line. So I think these are the issues that drove people to the ballot box. Lebanon's economic problems rumbled under the country's surface for years, hidden under a blanket of corruption, kleptocracy and political stagnation. In 2019, these problems came to the surface in a dramatic fashion. The local currency collapsed and then fell even further. Jobs were lost, businesses closed. Since 2019, the Lebanese lira has lost more than 90% of its value. And it was these economic problems and the accompanying political corruption that were front and centre in the minds of many who went to cast their ballots on Sunday. However, previous elections have failed to sweep away the established players responsible for many of the country's problems. And the mood heading into the vote reflected that. There was uh, some sort of revolutionary fatigue uh, 18 months after the beginning of the popular uprising. The counter-revolution had sort of triumphed. This is Karim Bittar, professor of international relations at University Saint-Joseph in Beirut and founder of Kuluna Irada, an advocacy group for political reform in Lebanon. People no longer felt that it was possible to make uh, breakthroughs uh, through uh, these uh, elections. They were uh, still determined to oust as many corrupt uh, politicians as they could, but they were not excessively optimistic. And Randa. Prior to the elections, the mood was not pessimistic, but like this is going to be business as usual and that we are stuck with these traditional parties that have been now in power for years and decades and have driven the country into this economic abyss that uh, it's living in. I am not optimistic. The situation has been getting worse since we were young. 
During each election, they promise us things and they never execute their promises. All of the politicians. But when the results came in, the story didn't play out as the establishment expected, with independent and reform-minded opposition candidates taking a healthy number of seats. Going in, I was saying, you know, if they can get eight seats in the parliament of one out of 128, I mean, that would be good. They ended up getting 13 seats. And that was and, and some of these seats were gained in some districts, which which like it was hard to 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 make a breakthrough in them because of the hole that those traditional parties that contest the election in those districts usually has. Well, the election of these figures uh, certainly uh, is an indication that there is an appetite for change, that the new Lebanese generations are no longer willing to accept the status quo, politics as usual. When counting was complete, independent candidates had secured 13 seats in the parliament of 128 seats. Independents were voted in across the country, in the metropolitan capital of Beirut, the northern city of Tripoli, typically a safe seat for Sunni legacy parties, in the Mount Lebanon region, in two of the three Bekar Valley voting districts in the east of the country, and in one of South Lebanon's districts, all of which are traditional political strongholds for Shia parties. The election of these independents represented a considerable leap forward, and the most tangible results of the anger of the Lebanese people that was so demonstrably shown during the uprisings in 2019. We are here to show our discontent with the situation that is still ongoing for 35 years. People also ask for the return of stolen money and for the country to move in the direction of a civil state. Every human has rights. After months of unprecedented protests, the momentum slipped away. And when the coronavirus put the country into lockdown, establishment politicians were given a window to regather and reorganise their powerful and well-oiled political machines. Additionally, between the end of the street protests and the start of campaigning, the differences between those in the protest movement became apparent. Indeed, it is quite ironic to see that establishment politicians on both sides of the political spectrum were able to find a modus vivendi between themselves, were able to form joint lists to go to these elections with a unified front, whereas the reformist youth, the various civil society organizations and new political parties were unable to unify their ranks. They do not have a charismatic leader. They do not have an agreement on many important geopolitical issues like Hezbollah's weapons or social economic issues. Uh, So they were divided. While the movement was struggling with itself internally, it was having to simultaneously face the lumbering mass of the old establishment parties. Obstacles posed on them by the establishment, uh, by the business uh, community, which you know has always been in cahoot with these ruling uh, political parties. 
still they were able to, you know, to gain 13 seats in the parliament, despite all these obstacles. Lack of funding, you know, I mean, the, the tradition, the establishment parties, one, they had, you know, political machines that are pretty effective and they have been in place for decades. So, you know, they have contested elections many times before. All of the new parties that uh, sprung out of the protest movement and fielded candidates were new parties, you know, recently established. And many of them did not have the kind of field mobilization that traditional political parties have. And many of them did not have the funding And so despite all these obstacles, they were able to achieve 13 seats in the parliament, which is really a a, a feat that is not to be underestimated. Not to be underestimated. The results of Sunday's elections were not expected. Against the odds, they ran and they won. Can we expect a new dawning in Lebanon? Free from the corruption of the past, the kleptocracy, the criminal economic practices, the highly divided sectarian politics? Not quite yet. I think we should be cautious. The election of these figures does not signify a clean break with traditional Lebanese politics. First of all, most of these new figures are rather moderate figures. They will be opponents from within the system rather than people who want to bring down the entire political system and build a new political regime that would not be based on sectarianism, clientelism, feudalism. Don't get me wrong, most of these figures are reformers indeed. They are very well intentioned. They will do their best to bring change from within. But the system itself is still quite resilient and can handle a few dissenting voices in parliament. So one of uh, the Lebanese paradoxes is that the state is very weak, the central authorities are impotent, but the regime is extraordinarily strong, extraordinarily resilient. So all traditional sectarian feudal uh, leaders are still very well entrenched. The struggle for change that faces the new reform-minded members of parliament will be intense. They will be trying to change a system in the face of a political establishment that has grown and prospered through corruption. They will have to persuade the turkeys to vote for Christmas. Aside from the electoral victory of the independents, the other headline of the night was the loss of a parliamentary majority for Hezbollah and its allies. While a significant development, Hezbollah and its allies, most notably the Amal movement, another of Lebanon's Shia parties, did secure the highest number of collective votes. But their loss of some seats, particularly in their traditional heartland of the south, should give them pause for thought. Hezbollah will have to reconfigure or re-examine their narrative about about weapons, their narrative about the economy. And in fact, part of the problem of Hezbollah is that they have yet to develop a narrative or a solution to the economic problems. You know, they are willing to let others take responsibility for that, take the blame for that, including their ally, Nabih Birri but they have not been willing to 
you know, assume responsibility and, and, and provide solutions to the economic file while they are through their military arsenal, you know, they are protecting the status quo. They are preventing change through the deployment of their weapons to protect their allies in Lebanon who are the poster boys for corruption. If Hezbollah and its allies want to reconnect with their lost electorate, then they would do well to re-evaluate their position and their role in the crisis that Lebanon finds itself in. But they are old hands in this game and still wield significant sway. Karim Bitar again. This Hezbollah defeat should not be overestimated, first of all, because Hezbollah and the Amal movement still control the totality of Shiite seats. They did not lose any Shiite seat. Their allies lost, but they maintained their domination on the Shiite community. And the second reason why this defeat should not be overestimated, it's because Lebanon has always been a so-called consociational democracy, meaning that a majority cannot govern against a minority. It's not enough to have an arithmetic majority in parliament. Ultimately, you have to find a modus vivendi, you have to deal with the other sects, and Hezbollah controlling about 70 or 80 percent of the Shiite community will insist on being represented in all state institutions, in government, will insist on having a veto right on all important decisions and might even try once again to have their ally Nabih Berreri elected as Speaker of Parliament. After overcoming their political machines in elections, the newly elected reform-minded independents will now have to contend with Hezbollah and its allies in Parliament. But not just them. Also holding a large number of seats in Parliament is the right-wing Christian party, the Lebanese forces, and its allies, who are equally reticent to change. The independents in the middle will have to find a way through. And these two blocs really do not see eye to eye on any issue. In fact, Hezbollah considers the Lebanese forces as the representatives of Israel in Lebanon, as an Israeli agent in Lebanon. And the relationship with them has been, you know, pretty much adversarial from the get-go. With no one side holding a majority, some essential parliamentary housekeeping might hold up any genuine legislation that could help Lebanon. And so what I'm afraid, you know, of is that In fact, this fragmented or this divided parliament along these lines will put the country into a political deadlock going forward. And then it will prevent agreement among these different parties on very critical issues facing this parliament and facing the country, starting with who's going to be the speaker of the parliament, uh, who's going to be the next prime minister, when will the cabinet be formed, which person is going to be elected president? Presidential elections are coming up in October. It will not be easy for any figure to get a majority of votes. So it will be very important to find consensual figures who can give guarantees to both sides of the political spectrum. Otherwise, there is a strong chance that Lebanon will face a political deadlock. And indeed, this political deadlock 
could last for a few months and Lebanon simply cannot afford to go without a government at a time when it has to uh, negotiate with the IMF in order to get a help package because the economic situation is likely to deteriorate extremely rapidly in the coming months. At this point, a deal with the International Monetary Fund is said to be Lebanon's only option. In April of this year, the IMF and Lebanon reached a staff deal for a $3 billion 46-month financing deal, which was conditional on the country enacting a number of reforms. Among the reforms were a banking restructuring strategy, external assessments of the 14 largest banks, parliamentary approval of a reformed banking secrecy law, and completion of an audit of the central bank's foreign asset position. They are significant, but also much-needed reforms. Following the deal, caretaker Prime Minister Najib Mikati spoke with the press. The reforms are in Lebanon's interest, and since they're in Lebanon's interest, we will abide by them, and we do not mind to be observed because we aim to fully abide by them. Today, our negotiations with the International Monetary Fund are not only related to financial issues, but to the necessary reform issues, because they are in fact a visa stamp for donor countries to begin cooperating with Lebanon and to put Lebanon back on the global finance map. Since the deal was reached with the IMF, no reforms have been implemented. Well, the deal with the IMF is absolutely essential, fundamental. There is simply no alternative. There is no plan B for Lebanon. The outgoing government has signed a staff level agreement with the IMF. The government has committed to putting in place a series of structural reforms and the IMF uh, is supposed to give Lebanon about three to four billion dollars. It is certainly not enough because Lebanon, according to most economic experts, needs at least 15 billion dollars. But this would be a beginning. This would be a good start. It certainly would be a good start. And all it would take is for the new parliament to agree to undertake the reforms. Depending on what deal will be struck by these two big blocks that are now in control of the parliament, the Hezbollah-led bloc and the Lebanese forces-led bloc, I mean, if they decide that we are going to either keep this government in place, the caretaker government now led by Najib Mikati, or vote to bring Mikati back to become again prime minister, for the sole objective of the parliament deciding to pass all the reform legislation before the presidential elections to just get this IMFT done. That's a big if. I don't think it's likely to happen. There is a staff agreement between the IMF and the government of Lebanon, but it is conditioned on the parliament passing this reform legislation, which is controversial for everybody. And already the new members of the parliament, especially the opposition candidates, are saying, hey, 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 we need to look at this staff level agreement. You know, we need to look at this reform legislation and see what's in it, because it's not very clear in terms of what it means for depositors in the bank, for example. Will people be able to recoup their deposits in the bank, which they cannot access now? So that will require time for the new members to review this legislation. 
the electoral victory for the independent candidates was a momentous achievement for those who want to see reforms in Lebanon. But after a tough electoral battle, all sides will now have to navigate a path where they can work together. The serious nature of Lebanon's problems means that if the new parliament, where no one holds a majority, cannot find a common ground and work together, then they run the risk of pushing the country deeper into crisis. Randa Salim. Going forward, that's going to be the dilemma of these opposition candidates, is that it's an important block, but it's a block that is internally fragmented. They are opposed to the establishment parties, but they are not united among themselves on a number of issues. So if they have to deliver to their constituencies, they also need to make deals going forward to get things done, whether it's with Hezbollah or whether it's with the Lebanese forces or with the Falange or what, you know, any of these establishment parties. It's going to be a learning curve for these opposition candidates. And final words to Karim Pita. It will be very important in the next few weeks that these new members of parliament organize themselves as a coherent, united opposition bloc and that they overcome their petty differences or their ego issues. Otherwise, there is a risk of seeing a fragmented opposition front and of seeing a few of these newcomers being co-opted by the traditional establishment sectarian parties. The New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge, with additional help from Rosie McCabe, Benjamin Ashraf, Nick McAlpin and Kareem Trabulsi. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter accounts, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.